0: Thank you, Charlotte. Well, good morning. Well, I think mom and dad are going to be back soon from vacation. Cats are still alive. But the horse went lame on Friday, so there's always something, always something. I can... Destroy enough, I won't be asked to do this again. We have been, I'm sure you're probably aware, been struggling with a pandemic. Epidemic certainly is a local phenomenon, but a pandemic, you know this, is worldwide, widespread. And at this point, it's been going on for some time. The result of it can have disaster, disastrous effects, sometimes affecting the mind and emotions, it can even make us sick, affecting the physical body. It can affect jobs, closeness to others, certainly can sap our energy, and I'm sure most of you or many of you have already experienced that. We've also heard and seen and read that it can destroy lives, even end lives in extreme circumstances. It doesn't just affect the person that's struggling with it either, You've probably noticed this. It affects, or at least has the potential to affect many people around us, practically all the people we come in contact with. It can even affect our kids and and our grandkids, I mean, generations if if you look at it that way. Some people avoid it, or at least seem to avoid it. They seem unaffected. But most of us, many of us, have gone through it, and I think without a cure, may continue to go through it, each time getting worse and worse. It's been said, and I think it's true, that it's one of the most dangerous things we've ever faced. Is there a cure? That's the question. Sure there is. It's hard for many people to accept it, though, and it's certainly hard to trust it. People are leery of the cure, and some have gone so far as to say it's ineffective. If they accept it, there are those who feel it'll take away their freedom, that it'll deny them a chance to live in the way they were meant to live. It's no secret, even I've been affected by it, most of you know, and I did my best to avoid it. Church has certainly been struggling with this dangerous monster. My family's been affected then and even now. And if I spent too much time around them, I would run serious risks of not just affecting them, but infecting them. The pandemic I'm speaking of is worry. Worry. Fret. Manifesting in anger and frustration and sadness. Many of the results of this pandemic show themselves in fear, sadness, confusion, hopelessness, worthlessness, hatred, lack of energy, carelessness, and at the same time, haste, even dishonesty. And yes, sometimes bad physical health, heart attacks, ulcers, high blood pressure, migraines, I'm not suggesting that worry causes all of those things all the time. I am saying that worry can cause those things. Uncontrolled and unchecked, life-defining worry is one of the, probably the, most dangerous thing the human race can go through. And the interesting thing about worry is it's a dangerous battle that you lose the minute you engage. So Jesus' solution... (laughs) He says, just don't engage. Just don't engage. He says, walk out, quit the field, leave your kingdom and enter into mine. After all, he says, these battles rage in your kingdom. They don't rage in mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to see, at least to be taught, whether or not we apply, it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing going through your words so many times and applying it to our lives, but we thank you that, that the instruction is there, that the gift is there. Father, we ask that you help us to be transformed today. We ask, Father, that you help us to transform if but a part of our lives into complete trust in who you are and what you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We've been talking about a lot of the crazy things in Scripture, and there's a lot of crazy stuff that you'll hear. Uh, We started out with being holy, and there's a reason we started out with being holy. Holiness means to be set apart, unique, special. Put it this way, holiness is different than everybody else. And if you don't embrace the fact or just accept the fact that you are called to be, commanded to be, and allowed to be different than everybody else, it's hard to embrace the crazy things of Scripture. It's hard to apply them to our lives. There's so many chains and prisons and baggage keeping us from doing this. But we're commanded to be. We're allowed to be certainly holy and different from those around us. And that helps us to see some of the crazy things. Oh, we talked about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. I, I tell you, if you didn't know anything about Jesus and that was the first place you started, I don't think you'd know anything more about Jesus. You'd probably walk away. I don't want to have anything to do with this crazy cult you guys are involved in. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. But, of course, we realized that we need to consume the very life character of Jesus in order to give us life. And I, I think he, he uses the greatest example, just a wonderful example When his disciples are asking him if he's hungry. And he says, look, I got food you know nothing about. In other words, I have this something that's moving me forward. This something that's propelling my life and my ministry. We talked about hating your own life. Well, that's a hard one. If if, if you're evangelizing, I'm not sure I'd open with that one. You know, unless you hate your mother and father. Unless you hate your brothers and sisters. Unless you hate your best friend. Unless you hate your own life. Jesus says, you can't follow me. And we began to realize really what he's talking about is no, I want you to love people around you more and more and more every day, but I want you to love me even more than that. I've got to be the focal point of your life. I've got to be where it ends, or where it starts and where it ends, the beginning and the end. I have to be your focus. And part of that requires crucifixion of self, not in the physical way, but the mind, the heart suggesting that this is our life and our life alone. We've even said when we accept Jesus, right, we give our life to Jesus. Boy, when confronted with that, at least confronted with that in my mind, certainly when frustrations and anger and things like that pop up, I have to wonder, have I really given my life to Jesus? We talked about the resurrection of Christ and how we believe that Jesus was dead for three days and rose again. Right, that's that was you know that was the cat story, and and with all of it, if we can accept that, if we can believe that, and so many people do, there's so many other things in Scripture that we can read and look at, even as crazy as they may seem, and say, yeah, that's possible. Why? Because God's involved. It's in His kingdom. I love I love it. Just it's just it kind of makes me chuckle. People dead serious and absolutely believing in the resurrection of Christ. And sometimes refuse to believe in the miracles performed in Scripture. Oh, that's not possible. You know? Science, evidence points to the fact that that's not possible. I guarantee you, if <laughs> evidence points to the fact that it's not possible somebody would be dead for three days and rise again. That's a crazy thing to believe in. But it's true, and it opens the door to so many other things we can believe in in God's kingdom. We also talk about praying for your enemy, loving your enemy. And I hope that through that series or through that message, we began to see that we don't have a whole lot of enemies. You don't have a whole lot of enemies. In fact, you've probably got zero enemies. Jesus has enemies. You've got Jesus. All right, that's how that works. Jesus has enemies in this world. Jesus has enemies that absolutely hate his followers. Jesus has enemies that absolutely hate him. Jesus has enemies who absolutely hate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and everything they stand for. You don't have enemies. You've got Jesus. You're on Jesus' side. You're on Jesus' kingdom. You're in his team. And so Jesus says, hey, look, pray for these guys. In fact, show love to them. Well, it's hard, isn't it? Nobody wants to do that. That's a difficult thing as it grates upon our pride. And that's as we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture, if you will, of the kingdom of God. It's not a complete picture. It's not a total picture. But Jesus is giving some of the things, some of the areas of the kingdom of God and what they look like. And he says you love those around you. You pray for those around you, whether you get along with them or not. And today we look at worry. Tell someone that you don't worry. Go ahead. Tell somebody that you don't worry, that I just don't worry, it's just not a part of my life, I don't worry, I don't have anything to do with it. They're either going to call you a liar or crazy, one of the two, right? They're going to say, no, you're not telling me the truth, or you don't know what worry is, anything like that, or this guy's just nuts. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's a crazy thing to hear God, of all people, say, do not worry, Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Now he breaks it down. He starts out with life, your whole life. Don't worry about your life, your existence, yourself, your body, but everything that goes along with it. Now he breaks it down a little more, just gives a little bit more specifics. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll wear. Your life's a lot more important than these little details, he says. Is not life more important than food? Body more important than clothes, this real life, this eternal life. He starts out with therefore. Every time you read therefore, you got to back up, right? Every time you start out with and, you got to back up, whatever it is. So we back up a little bit, make sure we read everything in its proper context. Jesus has been talking about storing up for ourselves treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. He says you got to store up treasures in heaven. Storing up treasures on earth is just temporary, fades away, turns to rust, gets destroyed. And finally, he says in Matthew six twenty-four, backing up one verse, No one can serve two masters, folks. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Hate one, love the other, or pay attention to one and disregard the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Notice how Jesus refers to these earthly treasures. Key in on that. Master. Your master. You're a slave, he says, if these are the things you're focused on. They have mastery over you. They command you. They say jump and we say how high. We lie to ourselves all the time. I must accumulate so that I can have my freedom. Isn't it fascinating? Jesus says exactly the opposite of that. He says, no, they become your master. You put yourself in bondage. But more to the point, that's really, that's not even the focus of Jesus' message here. He's using that as an example. More to the point, you become a slave to worry. You become a slave to fear. We just sang the song, did we not? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to worry. I'm no longer a slave to fret. You either mean that, you're either serious about that, or we're just lying in our praise. We meditate on the things of the world that bring death and destruction rather than bring life and freedom. And then we wonder why we feel trapped. We wonder why we feel down. We wonder why we feel sad or depressed or angry or frustrated. Because we're filling our mind. That's meditation. To fill your mind and roll it over and over again. We fill our minds with bad things. With worries. With struggles. With the possibility of something not working out. And we chew on it. And we chew on it. And it begins to change who we are and what we are. And this, this world, this life begins to close in. Eyes begin to look at us. And we feel trapped. Jesus says that's not the way to live. Jesus says just quit that. Again, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Don't worry about your life, anything associated with it. It may come as a surprise, although I don't think so when we see it this way. This is a command from God a command from God. Do not worry. Think about all of the things that we do in life. Think about all the stuff that we can get involved in. Think about all the opportunities we have, the highs and lows, just, just everything. Think all the stuff that you do. And there are so many things that Jesus never specifically addresses. Uh, you probably have a million questions throughout, throughout the day, throughout your week, throughout a season of your life, and you just think, I wish Jesus specifically addressed this question, then it would be easier to know the answer. There's a lot of stuff he does not specifically address in your life. In fact, most of the specifics he does not address in your life. He does this one, though. For some reason, this is one that he picks out. And he gives you and me a command do not worry, thus saith the Lord. And too often we say, I don't care what you say. Right? I have. I have. I know better than Jesus does, I see more than God sees. I certainly know me and my situation a lot better than God does. It is an absolute command that we are given. And what's Jesus' argument? Well, there's two arguments here. First one is it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good. Nobody has ever changed the outcome of anything by worrying about it. Never once in the history of mankind. Worry does not build. It only destroys. 6.27. This is what he says. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can you change the bare minimum of your life in any way? By worrying, by fretting upon things. It's almost as if you could do an experiment. Take two people, similar walks of life. Put them in two different rooms, you know, just leave them there for a while. One of them you say, hey, look, I want you to take a load off. Relax. Chill out. Put the game on. Put the Ohio State Rutgers game on if you really want to be in a good mood, right? Sorry about that spoiler. Put you know, think about wonderful things, beautiful things, your family, I mean, all this stuff. And then you can put the other one in another room and say, hey, look, I got a whole list of problems that you got to figure out. You got to run through these. You got to figure out what to do and what to say and how you're going to do it. And I, not only that, I'm going to add in just the issues and problems of life and this world and all the things people say and all the stuff you don't agree with. I'm just going to add that. Now, your job is to dwell upon that. Your job over here is to relax. Don't screw that up, all right? Just hang out and relax. You can come back a day later, two days later, a year later, open up the two rooms, right? One of them feels, possibly even looks horrible. All he's been doing is meditating on the crazy things and the horrible things and the bad things and trying to figure this out. Think about this. But the other one, the other one's had a nice break. He's had some peace. He's had a, a refreshment. Here's the thing. That's it. That is the only difference. You see, both of these people are going to have to get up and go to work tomorrow. Both of these people are going to face the same challenges. Both are going to face the same struggles. Both did yesterday, and they're going to today. Both are going to have to raise their family. Both are going to have to do this and do that. They're both going to be doing the same types of things, understanding and grappling with the same challenges, good days and bad days, caring for their families. Jesus says, look, you can't change the outcome by worrying. You can't add hours. If anything else, you take away hours. Every time we fret and worry on something, church, just understand this, please. You do not change the destination. All you do is make the journey a whole lot worse. Jesus himself says, you don't change a thing by worrying. What's the second argument? A second argument, Jesus says, if you're going to worry, you've got a got a trust problem. You got a trust problem you do not have a life problem. You don't have a difficulty problem. You don't have a problem that everybody else and all kinds of people don't face. you got a trust problem. You, you have probably been in a situation one time or another where, where someone talks to you about an issue or a problem or a struggle in their life. And, and then later on, you know, later on down the week, somebody else comes in and talks to you about a, a, a problem or an issue or a struggle in your life. And they think to themselves, they say to you, I just know I'm the only person going through something like this. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, buddy, there's a lot of people struggling with what you're struggling with. There's a lot of people going through some hardship. There's a lot of people going through these things that make our minds and our hearts spin And you need to trust. you got a trust problem. Go back a verse to verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They're not out in the field slaving away. Yet your heavenly Father cares for them. He feeds them, gives them everything they need. Aren't you more valuable than birds, he says? Your Father cares about you a lot more than he cares about these birds. Look at them. Every morning, they get up and sing, and your father takes care of them. We looked at 27, jumped down to 28, and why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers. Look at the beauty around you, Jesus says. They don't labor. They don't spend. They don't do anything like that. Yet even Solomon in all of his splendor, Solomon was incredibly wealthy, Israelite king, People came from all over the world, literally came from all over the world to look at him and look at this incredible kingdom he had. Even Solomon in all of his splendor was never dressed like one of those. Look, if that's how God takes care of grass, if that's how he takes care of the fields, how much more is he going to take care of you? Look what he says, you of little. If we worry, we don't have a responsibility problem, we've got a trust problem. We don't have a full-plate problem, we've got a trust problem. We don't have a priority problem when we know we've got a trust problem. We'll get to the priorities here in a minute. We've been asking the question throughout this series, do you believe in God or do you believe God? There's a big difference, we're told, throughout Scripture, particularly in James. There's a big difference between believing in God and believing God. James says, even Satan believes there's a God. But do you trust him? Do you believe him? Church, when it comes to worry, this is where you find out. This is where you find out. Because this is the hardest command to follow that we have ever been given. It may be bold of me to say, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that every one of us has forsaken this command Given up on this command from time to time. What happens? What do you call it when you ignore a command from God? Sin. Sin. To sin against God. You ever put it that way? There's a command from Jesus do not worry about your life. And we say, forget it. I'm going to worry anyway. We're going to use excuses such that I can't control it. There's a lot of people that use that excuse for sin in their life. It's a sin. Anytime we go against the will, desire, especially a written specific command. Jesus lays out evidence. He says, look around. Your father cares for his creation. He sustains it. He gives it all its needs. Are you less important? Do you really think he's going to ignore you? By the way, this evidence that we see around us, that's a part of getting to know who God is. That's what Jesus is doing. Let me tell you a little bit about this father. Let me show you a little bit about this guy who says he's going to take care of you. We could see what Jesus is talking about when we look at our kids, right? Do you like it? Do you like it when your kids worry? Is that something that you, you, you hope they do? When your kids are worrying and fretting over something that's your job to be concerned about, are they being responsible? Do you want to heap stuff On their back, you want to heap stuff on their shoulders? We don't do that to our kids. In fact, we're smart enough to realize that kids being immersed in worry and fret and all of these issues and problems that you take care of, that are your responsibility, we know that that's destructive to them, destructive on them. And we don't like it. Those of you who have kids... You're not ignoring them. They have no reason, at least we hope, to worry and fret when you're on the job. They don't think that somehow you've forgotten them, that you want to harm them. Now, look, sometimes we give them vegetables when they want a cookie, right? We do that with our kids. Kids want a cookie. Sam always wants a cookie constantly wants a cookie. And sometimes we give him a cookie. But there's other times we say, hey, look, no, you got to have the vegetables. It's good for you. I'm watching out for you. I'm providing for you. I'm giving to you. And it comes in the form of vegetables. So does our Father. And sometimes when we don't get what we want, or when we don't get the cookie, or if we don't get it in exactly the same way, it too often we look at our Father. We say, He's not going to work in my life. He is not working in my life. He's not giving me what I need or what I want. He's giving us exactly what we need, what builds us up, what strengthens us. Sometimes you have to do the hard stuff, and it's good for you. Sam lost his tooth. This is a small victory in our house. Lost his tooth last night. I've been fighting with this thing for what feels like an eternity, you know. And all I wanted to do was just pull the tooth. I said, "Here, just let me pull the tooth." And you'd have thought I told him, "I don't love you. You got to move out. We're done here, son." I realized that you got to pull the tooth. You can't leave the tooth in there forever. You know, your other teeth get messed up, and all the kind. You know, you got to pull the, You got to get the tooth out. It's hanging on by a thread. Actually, the thread that it was hanging on by had lost most of its threads. It's just dangling there. So let me pull the tooth. He says no, crying, keeping his mouth shut. You know all this stuff. Get the crowbar. You're trying to get in there and get. He lost it last night. I mean, he's he's crying. He's bawling. He's this is horrible. This is terrible. Last night he lost it. Last night we were wrestling. And he comes running at me, smacks into my nose. I fall to the ground. He's still running, trips over me. His mouth hits the side of the bed, drags down the side of the bed and pulls a tooth out. And he stood up and he said, well, that was easy. (laughs) Why didn't you just let me help you? Why didn't you just let me help you? It could have worked out a lot better. In fact, it could have worked out a lot quicker and a lot easier if you just would have let me help you. See, sometimes we don't wait on God when we worry. There's something in our lives that we need to either get rid of or we need to add to our lives. We know it's a need in our lives, and we try to take it on ourselves because it rolls over and over and over in our minds. It begins to blacken and darken our heart. Sometimes we need to just wait on God to work in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, we quoted Tozer, and this is a great place to remind us. God's supreme purpose for making us like his son is making us like a son, Jesus Christ. If we understand that everything happening to us is to make us more Christ-like, it will solve a great deal of anxiety in our lives. But you got to believe it. There ain't anybody else that can make you believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Anxiety, you know where the word anxiety comes from? comes from anxious, doesn't it? Experiencing worry, unease, nervousness. Because one may argue, I don't have to worry about the things Jesus is specifically talking about here. Because he's using the example in Matthew chapter 6 of material things. You might be saying, I don't worry about that stuff i, I got to be honest with you. i got to just, just level with you. In our home, that's, that's really not, that's not a big concern. Here today, gone tomorrow, here back the next day. That's just kind of the way it goes. But don't assume that this is the extent of our worry. And don't for a second assume it's the extent of the command not to do so. Philippians 4, 4-7, through 7, Paul is talking about anxiety in the heart. This is a longer passage, and he's focusing on it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all because I guarantee you, if you're worried about yourself, if you're consumed with fret, there goes your gentleness. It's usually replaced with anger, frustration, and anxiety. Let your gentleness be evident to all why the Lord is near. Lord hangs around all the time. I didn't believe that for a long time. I do believe it now. That he's with you, cares about you, goes where you go, goes through the same challenges you go through right along with you. The Lord's near, he's with you. Sometimes we don't care because we don't care, right? We ignore him. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul says. Anything. It may have nothing to do with material possession. It may have to do with the you know the kids. It may have to do with the job. It may have to do with the spouse. It may have to do with uh, confrontation. It may have to do with all this stuff. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's to gain perspective. Okay, that's not a quid pro quo. I'm going to thank God for this. There way He's going to bless me over here. No. With thanksgiving, gain perspective in your life. Present your requests to God. Lament. Lament to God. You can lament to anybody around you. That's fine. But God's got the power to work and act and move in your life. Lament lament is a proper act of worship. There's an entire book called Lamentations. Talk to them. The Old Testament, Moses prayers, right? Moses is yelling at God sometimes. Lament when you're going through anxiety, difficulty, hardship. Present your request to God. And what's going to happen? What does Paul promise us? What does God promise through his servant Paul, verse 7? And the peace of God, which you're not really going to understand, it transcends all understanding anyway, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not only do we see yet another command in Scripture, don't worry, we begin to see the solution, the cure, if you will. Remember the two people in the experiment, one filled with worry, another filled with hope or rest. Paul continues on in 8 and 9. Remember this, but one person we said, hey, think about beautiful things and good things. You think about all the ugly things in the world. What does Paul say in 8 and 9? Finally, brothers, replace this worry, will you? Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, meditate on those things. Think about those things. I realize you've got responsibility says Paul. We don't have any more responsibility than Paul did. He says, "But I want you to focus on the beautiful things of life, the wonderful things that God gives us, the wonderful things that God does in your life. Those are the things I want you to chew over and over and over. Whatever you've learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you." What does Jesus say about the cure? What is his solution? He says, don't just stop where you are. You've got to replace it. That's our problem. You've got to replace it with the kingdom of God. He says, come into mine. Too many times you'll get this advice. Won't you? You ever heard of this advice? Well, just don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. Don't think about it. Don't care about it. Jesus says, no, you've got to replace it. That's the same thing Paul says. You've got to replace it. There's going to be an emptiness. There's a void there that wants to be filled with some kind of meditation in the mind. Paul says, You've got to change it. You've got to replace it. Jesus says, You've got to replace it. 31 and 33, Matthew 6. So don't worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Because who worries about those things? Huh? Pagans. People who do not believe nor care who Jesus is. Kind of a gut punch sometimes, isn't it, when we read stuff like that? What do we dwell upon? What do we think about? What do we meditate on? The pagans run after those things, Jesus says, but your heavenly Father already knows you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, they're going to find their place. They'll find their place. Now, lack of worry is not apathy, church. It's not as though we don't care. It's not as though you do nothing. You still get up. You still work hard. You still do the things you need to do. But what does Paul write again in verse 9? Whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put into practice. I get so sick and tired of people thinking that God works like a magic genie. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in your life or my life. you got to put it into practice. Listen to what Paul says. He says, everything you've heard me talk about, put into practice. Do you know what Paul's talking about? You ought to because it's written down right here. Runs through letters throughout Scripture. So we say to ourselves, I can't put it into practice. I don't know what he's talking about. We need to read. We need to study. We need to know. We need to ask. And understand, it's life-changing. It's mind-changing. It's absolutely transformative. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What does Jesus say? Seek first. We say, I don't want to worry. And then we don't do anything else about it. What is seeking? Seeking is looking for. It's getting up and going out, finding, looking, immersing yourself, understanding where that kingdom is, what that kingdom is. And applying it to your life. Seek first the beautiful kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Leads us to another question we've been talking about throughout this series. Whose kingdom are you living in? Whose kingdom are you living in? Are you living in your kingdom? Are you building your kingdom? Hmm? Well, then don't invite me because your kingdom is going to amount to a pile of rubble. All right? I don't care about your kingdom. You shouldn't care about your kingdom. There's only one kingdom that's eternal. There's only one kingdom that's lasting, and that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's a reason why David writes, Delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because you reside, you live, you work, you move in his kingdom, and your desires are in line with it. We miss opportunity, church. We miss tremendous opportunity to witness when we worry. And the God of peace will be with you. The opposite of worry is peace. Seek first in all situations, the kingdom of God. I, again, I hear yelling and arguing and fighting and this and that and all this unrest and all this fear and all, all this. you read about it constantly. you hear about it constantly. All I know is if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with him now. Because none of these professors of Jesus Christ have peace in their life. All they've got is worry, fret concern, anxiety. What, what, a, what a waste of an opportunity to witness to people. Well, we have to worry, though, right? Because the world says that's responsible. Because, because unless you worry, you're being irresponsible, aren't you? Unless you worry, you're not going to know what's around the world. You're not going to prepare yourself for the difficulty and hardship in life. Completely the opposite of what Jesus says to worry is irresponsible, horribly, horribly irresponsible, and it begins to affect the people around us. We need to seek his kingdom, his righteousness, his word, his promises, his character, and all these other things find their place. It brings about contentment. Paul says this in four eleven through thirteen look i'm not i'm not talking to you about all this stuff because I'm in need, I learn to be content in every circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, doesn't matter. Whether living in plenty or want, I can do all of this through Jesus Christ because I focus on Jesus Christ. I live for Jesus Christ. It's the same thing as Jesus sitting there saying, I got food, I got nourishment, I got something in me that you know nothing about. We worry Basically for three reasons, and we need to identify these three reasons in order to replace it with meditation on the beautiful things. Basically, you boil it down to three. There's other reasons, but these are the, main, the big ones. And again, one is the biggest problem we've already talked about, and that is trust, lack of trust. We read the words, we claim the word in our lives, but we can't bring ourselves to trust Him. And Why? Well, usually, for the same reason, we don't trust any other stranger. We don't know who they are. We don't know Him. We know of Him. We know about Him. But we don't know Him. Because we don't spend our time with Him. We don't spend time in conversation and listening to Him. The description we know is good, but it's not enough. We're not in the habit of trusting Him in all areas of our lives. Sometimes because we think we know better. Jesus never worries he never panics. Ever. I, I, I don't, Well, I don't fly anymore, but I remember flying airplanes. And I was taking a lady down to West Virginia, Wheeling, West Virginia one time. And I knew her grandson. And uh, he, he, wanted, he wanted to take her down there. And so, I, yeah, sure, it sounds like fun. And so we took off out of Bell Fountain, and uh, she, she'd never flown before. I didn't know that. <laughs> Let the guy know before you take off, all right? Um, she'd never flown before, and, uh, but it was something she wanted to do. She wanted to try. You know, she's an older lady. She wanted to do this. And, and we got about halfway to Columbus, which is real quick. And I, I looked back. She was sitting in the back. and I turned back and looked at her, and she was just scared to death. I mean, scared to death. And I really felt bad because this is this is. She was an older lady. This was possibly, this was it. This is this is her flight experience right here, you know, total. And and that's when I f- I said this, and and I used it then after that with other people. I said, look. You're not flying the plane. I said, you're not. You're not responsible for this. I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said, you don't worry until I worry. You don't worry until I worry. Because if I'm not worried, you worry and it ain't going to change a thing. It ain't going to do anything. Your hand's not on the yoke. Church, Jesus doesn't worry. Your father doesn't panic ever about your life. And don't tell me it's because he doesn't have your same responsibility. Don't tell me it's because he's Jesus and you're not. He is responsible. You know how many kids he's got? Well, right now, about 7 billion, okay? You know your level of worry between having kids and not having kids, right? You know that shot up, along with your blood pressure? Jesus has got plenty to think about, but he doesn't worry. Your father's got plenty to think about, but he's in charge. Lack of trust. The other one is lack of perspective. What if we do trust him, but we hate the outcome? What if we fear the outcome? We cannot be content. It's because we lack proper perspective. Again, God's desire is to make us holy. His desire is not make us happy. We've talked about this at length. Happiness is temporary. Holiness is permanent. It's an eternal state that helps us with the next problem that comes along. And what's the third big reason we worry? We hang too much on the acceptance or rejection of people. I'm tired of that. that's, that's, That's the biggest focus in my life right now. Just get rid of that. Just be done with it. Not care a whit about the acceptance or rejection of people. To care about following my king in his kingdom. These are the reasons. Now, there's a lot of things underneath of those. But these are the reasons we fret. These are the reasons we worry. You might say you don't have time to talk. You might say you don't have time to engage in prayer. You might say you don't have time to lament before God the various things you're going through, to pour out your life. You know, Jesus, again, tells us just the opposite. As he's watching, teaching his disciples, listening to people pray, He says, guys, make sure you don't prattle on. (laughs) Make sure you just don't go on and on with all kind of weird kind of show and eloquent words when you're talking to me. He says, just get to the point. Just get to the point. This is what he tells his disciples is they're observing some of these worship methods and these prayers. It need not be this lack of prayer in the midst of an emergency. Jesus never panics. He never worries for one reason. He was always in prayer. Always. Always. Everything he did. He was always in conversation with the Father. He took the challenges. He took the problems. He took the things that he had to face, which, which are incredible in comparison to the things that we do. And he was always presenting them at the feet of the Father. And he says, you take care of this because I am human. I can't. You handle these things. Worry or lack thereof, is a crazy thing in this life. It's a weird thing in this world. And that's what disturbs me. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, those battles don't rage. Whose kingdom are you living in? Where is your worry? Where is your peace? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you that we can trust, we can rely upon Jesus Christ. Father, help us to obey we claim it. I don't don't want to lie to you. Help us to obey. Help us to replace, to exchange worry for prayer, exchange worry for beauty, exchange our kingdom to live in and care about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to replace that worry, be filled with what is beautiful, With what is peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
1: the altar.
0: We do thank you that we get to sing together, that we get to care about one another, we get to.